What do you get when a scientist begins experimenting on a creature with many eyes? A creature that many fear down under here in Australia. Oh yes, it is what you think it is. And the scientist heeds not the warnings of his fellows, but instead does it their way. And a tale about a flask that people find irresistible. I mean, they can't help themselves. They're just drawn to it. Oh no, this is no ordinary flask, my friends. Some say there's a demon inside. Listeners, I bring to your awesome ears two remastered tales straight from the vault of Halls of Fantasy with two tales, The Crawling Thing and The Silver Flask. And listeners, great news, the podcast has another El Grey supporter going by the name Just Heather. I can't wait to do an episode just for you, Just Heather. Ah, so many Josses. And for those of you who want to show me some love, swing on by my Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash SFGT. Now, for all things that go crawling and all the cursed flasks that draw people to its flame... Turn off the lights, turn up the sound, and get ready for some high fantasy. And now, the Hall of Fantasy. also enlarged the ability of the brain to think? Well, it's happened. That spider will kill. It can think. That hairy, crawling thing can think. Quite by chance, I've come upon this little diary of Emery's. The mirror of a man's mind. I shall read you only those parts which concern the experiment months which brought him into contact with his ultimate death. Oh, yes. It begins on this page. July 7th. Today I met Dr. Henry Sindler. I've always recognized him to be one of the greatest research men in this field. I applied for the position of his assistant. 
I only hope that he accepted me. It would be a great opportunity for me if I managed to get the position. I remember when he walked out to meet me. I take it that you are Mr. Bolton? Yes. Sindler, Dr. Henry Sindler. Yes, I know. But please sit down, Mr. Bolton. It distresses me to see a man like you nervous and shaky. I'm not going to hurt you. Well, I'm sorry, sir. Now, you no doubt are aware that I drive my assistants to a state of utter exhaustion, that I expect quite a good deal from them? Yes, I'm aware of that, Dr. Sindler. Yes, all right, good. And thank you for you for coming to see me, Mr. Bolton. I have many other applicants to see before the day is over. If you are accepted, we will notify you. The Dr. Sindler... That is all, Mr. Bolton. Good afternoon. July 11th, I was accepted. He called me this morning and said that he had chosen me to fill the position. Yesterday, I felt sure that I'd been rejected and almost accepted the position with Gates, but something held me back. I am to see him tonight for dinner. This is Donna Atwell, Mr. Bolton, another member of the research team. How do you do? It's a pleasure to meet you, Miss Atwell. Will you join us in the martini? Yes, certainly. The laboratory up in the mountains should be completed by the end of this month. I have a few things to share up here before we start on this new research. I imagine you're willing to live with me and the rest of my staff? Oh, yes. By all means, Dr. Sinton. Yes, excellent. I'm very interested in knowing what we're going to do. Tell him, Donna. Dr. Sindler is endeavoring to discover a method by which he can make plants and animals larger. Larger? Yes, Emery. Well, how? Every living thing, be it plant or animal, gives off electricity to a greater or lesser degree... By means of the electroencephalograph, science has already discovered the human brain gives off small microvolts of electricity. When a man becomes angry, this charge is strengthened. With the increased flow of electricity, his physical strength is also increased. Dr. Sindler is looking for the chemical which is released into a man's body, along with adrenaline, which gives a man this added strength and which also increases the microvolts of electricity. I see. Your cocktail. Allow me to propose a toast to our work together. May we have success. July 23rd, the laboratory is finally completed. Sinder and I are going up by car tomorrow. I am impatient to begin. July 24th, we arrived shortly after noon today. I'll take you on a tour of the building later, Emery. Now I want you to meet the others. Donna... Will you and Dr. Henderson come into my office, please? Yes, Dr. Sindler. Besides the four of us, the only other persons in the building are the cook and janitor. I dislike having too many people engaged on one problem. You understand, of course. Certainly. Miss Atwell and Dr. Henderson have been my colleagues on several other occasions. Well, the building is perfect, Henry. Yes, Henry, they've certainly given us everything to work with this time. Emery Bolton, this is Dr. Paul Henderson. You already know Miss Atwell. How do you do? Glad to have you with us, Bolton. Emery... You are to work on the effect of the unknown chemical which is released into the body at moments of anger or peril along with adrenaline. I shall try to isolate the chemical. You are to discover what effect it has upon the nerves and brain. August 4th. Sindler has isolated the chemical. He calls it the strength quantity or S quantity. He fed some to a lab mouse. How much time has passed since the injection? Three hours, Dr. Sindler. Let's look at the pen. I hope we have more success this time. I think we will. Maybe I'm wrong, but the mouse does seem to be larger. It is larger, Donna. Then we found the formula. We can't be too sure of its safe. 
The other subjects died. Dr. Sindler. Yes? How large will the animal grow? We have no idea of knowing that, my dear. Do you think there's any possibility of it growing too large? What do you mean? We're changing the size of that animal beyond all proportion to what nature has evolved. Do you think there's any possibility of the subject growing too large for us to handle? That mouse there might grow into some hideous monster that, that could destroy us all. I'm here in this seemingly deserted laboratory. In my hands, I hold the diary of Emery Bolton. Though there's nothing in his words that should cause me to feel any alarm. Still, there's something, something I feel that causes me to look back over my shoulder into the shadows. I continue with the diary. August 5th. The animal is three times its normal size. It's killed two other mice. Emily! Yes? How is your part of the research coming? I've written it down for you. Here. Mm. Let me see. The effect of the S quantity increases the microvolts of electricity and we go on. Dr. Sindler. Yes, what is it, Donna? Paul wants you in the isolation room immediately. Why? What's wrong? I don't know. He just told me to get you. Oh, come with us, Emery. wonder what's happened. We'll know in a minute. What is it, Paul? Henry, the mouse died a few minutes ago. What? Yes. As you know, the S quantity has an immense effect on metabolism. I imagine the animal wasn't able to stand the strain. What are we going to do? We'll try it again. Failure may mean nothing. Perhaps the animal was sick. We're not sure that the strength quantity will kill. August 9th. Sindler told us to feed the S quantity to another mouse and also to one of the large, hairy banana spiders, a member of the deadly tarantula family, in the cage next to the mouse. I was with Henderson when the feeding began. Open the cage door. Right. And I'll set the food in here, like this. All right, close the door. Mm-hmm. Now the other one. Open the cage door. All right. There. That'll do it. Paul, do you think the spider will react to it? I don't know. I imagine so. Spider, I... What's the matter? <laughs> Ever since I was a small child, I've, I've hated them. I get nervous whenever I see one. This type, especially. You're a scientist, Paul. You should be completely objective in this experiment. I know I should, but that spider, that hairy, crawling thing, I, I wish I could forget my fear and hatred of them, but I can't. They always seem so cold. A person feels that they have an unearthly, inhuman intelligence behind their beady little eyes. Of course, that's not possible. I think it's just the same. I wonder if the S-quantity will also increase the size of the brain. And its ability to think. Still, August 9th, four hours later, the mouse has increased slightly in size, but the growth of the spider has been amazing. It's twice the size has been more than trebled. It's almost as large as a child's fist. August 10th, three in the morning. Henderson woke me and went into the isolation room where the mouse and spider were kept in a double cage. Be quiet. I don't want to wake the others. Look at the cages. Now, what do you... The mouse. What happened to the mouse? Let's go over to the cage. The spider has doubled in size again. I know. And the mouse is gone. Now, look at the partition between the two pens. 
There isn't any partition. That's right. It slipped or was moved down to the bottom of the cage. Then that means that the mouse and the spider had nothing to separate them. But what happened to the mouse? Don't you know, Emery? Unless... Unless what? Unless the spider... And that's just what happened. Another thing, Emery. I don't think the partition slipped down between the two cages. I think that the two holders for it were opened and then the partition slipped down. That means you're endowing the spider with intelligence. Yes, that's right. Remember what I said earlier? Would it happen that the S quantity also enlarged the ability of the brain to think? Well, it has happened. That spider will kill. It can think. That hairy, crawling thing can think. August 10th, forenoon. I didn't get much of a chance to see Sindler before 11. When I did, I discovered Henderson had already told him what had happened in the isolation room. And you know about the spider. Yes, Emery, I do. Henderson told me earlier. What do you think about it? Think? What do you mean? Don't you think we ought to destroy it? Destroy it? Of course not. This may be what we're looking for, Emery. This may lead us to success. But, Dr. Sindler, it might be dangerous. Yes, it might be. You remember that the development of the atomic bomb was dangerous, and so is the research going on in countless laboratories across the nation, across the world, Emery. That spider has intelligence, Dr. Sinter, a crafty, cunning intelligence. I know that. We have found a new formula to increase the intelligence and size of an animal. And, Emery, it will increase man's intelligence, too. Our contribution to the science of the world will be invaluable. There's nothing to worry about, absolutely nothing. August 15th. The spider has grown so large that it cannot be kept in the cage anymore. The isolation room is its pen now. It has the run of the entire room. It's as large as a large dog. I must admit that every time I enter the isolation room, I'm nervous lest that thing should attack me. But it generally stays over in one corner of the room. Apparently, it has no desire to hunt. August 25th. Donna and I are taking a stroll outside the laboratory. Emery. Yes? Emery, I've... I've been with Dr. Sinder for several years. And all that time, he's never made a mistake. That is, up to now. What do you mean, Donna? I think he's created something that will only bring evil. That will only... Oh, I wish I had the words to express myself. I know exactly how you feel, Donna. I've talked to him about this before. I'm going to talk to him again when we get back. I wish you would, Emery. I wish you would. What are you doing in here, Emery? I want to talk to you, Dr. Sindler. Can't it wait till later? No. But no, as what? It's the sound of the spider as it moves closer to us. What did you want to say, Emery? I'll be quite frank about it, sir. I think we should destroy it. Why, that's nonsense, Emery. No, it's not. It's true we may learn something. It's true that we may even succeed in our research. But let's start over again. Let's experiment with something else, something that doesn't look like a monstrous throwback to a prehistoric age. Crawls and slides across the floor with its large, beady eyes always open, staring at you. Let's destroy it. What's the matter coming towards us? Come with me, Rick. Quickly. The creature was crawling towards us. I wonder if it can understand us. I wonder if it knows what we're saying. Not that, or it sensed that I was urging its destruction. Maybe I'm wrong, Henry. But I feel there's something malevolent about that spider. I get the feeling that it's waiting for the right moment. 
waiting for the time when it will kill us. I am beginning to feel some of the terror that Emery Bolton must have felt. I'm beginning to feel the presence of the crawling thing about which he writes through the words upon these pages. The diary continues. September 8th. The cook and janitor left today. If we remain here, we'll be forced to do all the work they did. Henderson has been acting queerly. It's a strange, haunted look to his eyes. He barely eats at all. Either he's ill physically or mentally. What's the matter with you, Paul? What do you mean? You look ill. You're not yourself. Can you be yourself, Henry? That crawling monster in the isolation room? Well, can you? No, not exactly. Let me tell you something, Henry. My dreams, I see it. My dreams in the dead of night. I see those beady eyes looking for me, trying to pierce the darkness. I feel drawn to it. It hypnotizes me. I feel that I'm caught in its web. Just like a fly, Henry. It's like a fly. It's only your imagination. I'm not insane if that's what you think. I'm quickly being driven there. Do you ever look at those eyes for any length of time, Emily? Do you ever see the hatred and loathing and evil mirrored in them? I'm not imagining it. I see it. When the opportunity comes, I'm going to destroy it. Sinner or no sinner, I swear to you, I'll kill it. October 10th. Henderson has been so quiet lately that I know he has some plan in his mind. Some plan that will culminate in the destruction of the spider. Sindler hasn't noticed any change in Henderson. He's engrossed in his work. October 16th. Henderson whispered to me this evening that tonight he will kill the spider. I sit in my room and write this. With only the desk lamp lit. It's almost 11 o'clock now. I have the feeling that the moment is drawing near. I don't know. I think we may find the answer in the isolation room. Come with me. You don't mean that Henderson went in there alone. I'm afraid he did. But that's against all my orders. Why would he want to go in there? Let's kill it. What do you mean? He hated and feared the spider. We'll see what happened right now. Here's the key. We don't need it. The door's open. Turn on the light. Good heavens! Back! Back to the other side of the room! To understand you, Dr. Sin. Probably from the tone of my voice. Now, to examine Henderson. He's dead. Dead? Yes. After all, in the spider's original size, the poison could kill a man. Give me a hand. Help me get him out of here. Right. Coming to you. Help me. Will Henderson. Hurry, hurry. Hurry. Let's get out of here. Hurry, hurry. Lock the door down. Yes, of course. I don't want that thing to get out of that room. Don't you think we should destroy it? No. Henderson was a fool. He went in there to kill the spider. I think the spider sensed him. That's why Henderson's dead. We are still going on with the experiment. October 17th, we buried Henderson in the graying light of dawn. Even Sindler was quiet. 
October 18th. I'm in charge of feeding it. Donna and I were in the isolation room today when a curious thing happened. Emery, look. What's wrong? The spider. It's crawling over to the table where the S quantity is. Under it. If what? The spider's trying to get more of the S quantity. Stop growing now because we stopped the injection. If it were to get more of the serum, it would grow larger. Going to get that bottle and take it out of here. Be careful, Emery. Don't worry, I will. Look out! It's... You want to make it fast. Maybe we better get out of here. Oh, he's crawling towards the table. We have to stop we it. We can't. It's lifting one of its legs. What is it trying to do? Get the bottle, Donna. The bottle is here. Knock the bottle to the floor. It's going to drink that serum. Let's get out of here. You're right. What are we going to do, Andy? I don't know. I don't know. I heard some commotion down here. What's the matter? Spider just got through knocking the bottle of chemical serum to the floor. What that means is that it'll grow larger. I told you we should destroy that thing in there. Now it's too late. We don't know how large it'll get. Be quiet. That's right. Use your mind now, Cinder, when it's too late. We had a chance to destroy it earlier, but no, you wouldn't have any of that. A man of science, that's what you are. But you're a fool too, Cinder. A stupid, misguided fool. That thing in there can kill us all. It's trying to break the door down. We'd better barricade that door. If we don't, it'll break it down in a matter of seconds. October 24th. Six terrifying days have passed. The creature in the isolation room is out of all proportion. Though we've barricaded it. The door is weakening. It won't hold up much longer. I called Frank today. We can't leave that thing alone. If it were to get loose, we must destroy it. Cinder has a plan. We've placed explosives just outside the door. We'll give way any minute now. Only a matter of minutes now. When it breaks down the door and comes through that doorway, the explosive will automatically go off. I hope we're successful. Why don't we just leave? We can't do that. We have to see it destroyed. That's the only way we can be sure. What if... If the explosive does not kill it, I... I don't know what will. The door is starting to give. Don't need to come through. entry in the diary was marked October 24th at 7 in the morning. In my mind, I've reconstructed what must have happened after that last entry. There is evidence all around me of the death and destructive power of that hairy, crawling thing. It must have left the building after what happened. I'd better get back to the city and notify the... In front of me. Something so large. Giant. Gigantic eyes looming up at me. God, no. So runs tonight's tale of the unusual, the terrifying, the unknown. 
Join us again when next we journey down the corridors of the Hall of Fantasy to hear another strange tale of the supernatural. All characters and events portrayed in these programs are fictional, and any similarity to actual events or persons, living or dead, is purely coincidental. And now... The Hall of Fantasy. Welcome to the Hall of Fantasy. Welcome to the series of radio dramas dedicated to the supernatural, the unusual, and the unknown. Come with me, my friends. We shall descend to the world of the unknown and forbidden, down to the depths with a veil of time is lifted, and the supernatural reigns as king. Come with me and listen to the tale of The Silver Black. And so it is that the prophecy of charming shall be fulfilled. For the evil committed, your reward is death. And from the mouth of the flask poured a crawling white fog, which became quite dense, and then assumed the size and shape of the demon of the night, and it reached its hands towards his throat. Stay away from me. Stay away from me. And so it was that you charmed caused the silver slice to be made. Small and thin it was, with a diamond embedded into its face, so that it could see. And we summoned the sorcerer charming and bade him bestow upon this glass the mantle of magic. And this was done. For goodness, it will return good. For evil, it will bring death. It began commonly enough. Chris and Pat Redfield and I had dropped into an art dealer's shop in the avenue. I don't know what made us go in. I think it's mere circumstance. There was an auction going on. Going once, going twice, three times and gone, sold to the lady in the brown fur coat. Oh, that was a bargain. Chris, a real bargain. I don't know, maybe. I wonder what will be up next. Probably an old bed warmer. <laughs> oh, we must well leave. I don't think there's anything here we'd be interested in, Pat. Oh, just a few more minutes, Chris. But we'll be late for... Oh, all right, Pat, but just a few minutes. Oh, now, there's a husband for you. May I ask for your attention once more, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you. Now I ask you to look at the object in front of me. It's a flask, a silver flask. Perhaps tarnished a trifle, but silver nonetheless. How old this object is, no one has been able to ascertain. How it came into the possession of this company is a mystery. But the workmanship is definitely oriental. For a collector's item, it would be perfect. I like that. Now, who will start the bidding on this valuable piece of art? Come, come, ladies and gentlemen. Who will be the first to make a bid on the silver flask? Go ahead, Chris. Uh, ten dollars. Ten dollars. The man in the blue overcoat bid ten dollars. Do I hear fifteen? Fifteen. Twenty. Twenty dollars for the silver flask before me. Twenty dollars is the bid. Do I hear twenty-five? Twenty-five. Thirty. Fifty. Fifty. No, 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 Chris. Fifty dollars is the bid. Fifty dollars. Do I hear more? Fifty dollars is the bid. Going once. 
Let's get out of here. All right, Chris. You really wanted that flash, didn't you, Chris? Yes, I... I don't know why, though. Oh, it just caught your eye, that's all, darling. Excuse me. Uh, pardon me, please. Will you let me go through? Now look, Chris. There's the man who outbid you. Oh, he seems to be coming over here. He's waving to us. I wonder what he wants. Yeah, please, madam, will you let me by? Thank you. Excuse me, sir. I couldn't help but notice you bidding against me. <laughs> I'm terribly sorry that only one of us could own the silver flask. Oh, it's perfectly all right. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Stebbins, Henry Stebbins. I'm retired now, you see, and my hobby is collecting unusual art objects. Uh, your name is... Oh, excuse me, Mr. Stebbins. This is Larry Reardon. How do you do? My wife, Pat Redfield. How do you do? And Chris is mine. Uh, really? I'm uh, very pleased to meet you, all of you. Now, uh, are you by any chance interested in collecting art objects, uh, Mr. Redfield? I have an interest. I'm not a collector. Uh, Mr. Redden? I'm afraid I'm in the same category as Chris. I see. Well, I was wondering, I do have a rather good collection, you know, and I hope you won't think it presumptuous, but it's so infrequent that one meets people who are interested in the same things as he. Uh, why don't you, all of you, uh, come to dinner at my house next week? Uh, say Monday? Why, of course, Mr. Stevens, we'd be delighted. Uh, here's my card. Uh, you will come, won't you? I'm sure you'll find it very interesting. The following Monday, we went to Henry Stevens' house. He seemed quite wealthy, for the house was large and lavishly furnished. After the meal, he showed us his collection, pausing finally when he came to the silver flask. As you can see, the flask is uh, a bit different, uh, shall we say, from when you saw it last. Why, why, it's as bright as a new coin. That stone in the center, it wasn't there when I saw it at the auction. Oh, yes, yes, it was. It had been covered over by a thin layer of silver. I noticed the imperfection and uh, took it off. <laughs> Underneath was the diamond. Are diamond. you serious? Are you sure it's a diamond? Oh, quite sure, Mr. Redfield. You see, the silver flask has quite a history. It's really very ancient. How old is it? Oh, at least 3,000 years, possibly more. It's a relic of the Duan dynasty, lost for over two centuries. How do you know these facts, Mr. Stevens? I've been watching for the flask for several years. Many times I was sure I'd found it, but <laughs> needless to say, I was disappointed. At last, however, it's in my possession. <laughs> Would you like to know some of its history? Oh, yes, very much. All right, then. It was first ordered made by the Chinese emperor Yu Duan, made for him by the sorcerer Zhao Ming, who also was responsible for a certain jade dagger I would like to possess. Zhao Ming bestowed this magic upon it. For goodness, it would return good. And for evil, it would bring death. The flask was in the family of Yu Tuan for many generations. However, 100 years after it was first made, the last of the Juans was emperor. A member of his court plotted against him. Strangely enough, the original motivation was possession of the silver flask. But the night he came to steal the flask. What do you want? <laughs> Where are you? It is so dark my eyes cannot see. It is. Picky, you're not see dagger which brings you death. <laughs> Our eyes were upon Stebbins as he talked. Yet we saw not the man before us, but the scene which his words conjured up in our minds. Is this story true, Mr. Stevens? Every word of it, Mr. Redden. Is that all to the story? Oh, no, not at all. There's a good deal more to it. A good deal. I'd like to hear the rest of the story. 
Are you sure I'm not uh, boring you? No. Oh, All right, then. Uh, let me see. Uh, where was I? The emperor had just been murdered. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, what had originally started as a covetous fascination about the silver flask resulted in the murder of the last of the Juan. The killer knew of the supposed magical properties of the flask, yet he thought it only legend with no true significance. He took the silver flask with him when he left the side of the murdered emperor. No one knew of the emperor's death. When the killer retired for the night, he put the silver flask next to his bed. But he was unable to get sleep, and his gaze was drawn to the diamond in the flask. The all-seeing eye that Zhao Ming had given it began to glow and shine in the darkness, becoming a thing alive. The killer watched it in horrible fascination. And then he heard a voice. And so it is that the prophecy of charming shall be fulfilled. For the evil committed, your reward is death. And from the mouth of the flask poured a crawling white frog which became dense and then assumed the size and shape of a demon of the night and it reached its hands toward his throat. So perished the killer of the last of the Juans. It's a rather fantastic story. Fantastic? Perhaps. The pattern has been repeated many times since. And perhaps it will be again. There is something quite fascinating about it. Yes, Mr. Redfield. <laughs> quite fascinating. Of course, all that happened many years ago. I don't believe it's actually true. It's probably like so many other legends that changed during the passage of the centuries. Endows a person or object with supernatural power. Even though what actually occurred originally was nothing out of the ordinary. Well, that's quite possible, Mr. Reardon. But as a collector of these objects and their histories, I much rather prefer to believe the legend, as you call it. <laughs> Chris? Chris? Hmm? What? Oh, you're so quiet. What were you thinking about? It's really quite fascinating. The flask. I can hardly take my eyes off it. ended shortly thereafter with another invitation from Henry Stebbins that would return soon. Chris was silent as we drove home, his mind lost in thought, only occasionally joining in the conversation. I knew that he was thinking about the silver flash. I was inclined to think of the story Henry Stebbins had told us as coming from a man who was highly nervous, a man who, because of his loneliness and preoccupation with himself, would read into the slightest glance a willingness to commit murder. Three days later, Pat Redfield dropped into my office. I hope you don't mind my coming in to see you like this, Larry. Oh, of course not, Pat. It's a pleasure. Cigarette? No, 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 thanks. Now, what seems to be the trouble? Oh, how did you... What a look in your face. What's bothering you? It's Chris. Chris? That's right, Larry. I, I know it's a, it's a strange term to use, but... For the last three days, he seems like a like a man possessed. Even at night, when he's asleep, he has a nightmare. He talks and screams out. When did this start? That night, we'd seen Henry Stebbins. I can't understand most of his words, but every once in a while, I hear him say something about the silver flask. He seems to be struggling with someone or something. I just don't know. I'm so worried. I can't even think. Oh, it's a story that Stebbins told us. I know, but, but there must be some truth to it, Larry. Look at the tremendous fascination the silver flask holds for Chris. Sometimes I even think he'd be willing to kill Stebbins. 
just to get his hands on it. In the evenings, I took the parking my car across the street from Stephen's house to see who his callers might be. About a week after Pat had been to my office, I'd been parked across from his house for several hours. It was almost midnight, and I was on the point of starting my car and driving home. But on my side of the street, about half a block away, I saw a familiar figure walking towards me. He walked slowly, like a man in a trance. His head turned so that his eyes were on Stephen's house. Chris? What are you doing out here, Chris? I might ask you the same question. They're waiting for you. Why me? Why not someone else? Because no one else has an interest in the silver flash. Has Pat been talking to you? Not recently. Then you know all about it, don't you, Larry? Well, I want the silver flask, that I'm going to get it now, tonight. No, you're not, Chris. Yes, I am, Larry. Now, get out of my way. That night back in your pocket, you fool. It's pretty, isn't it? Just press a button and the blade snaps open. Out of my way. You're not going anywhere with that knife. No, we'll see about that. Oh, you asked for it, Larry. Let go of my arm. Drop the knife. Drop it. Drop it. All right. That's better. Now get into the car. Oh, I'll get into the car, all right, Larry. I won't make any fuss about that. You think you're doing me a favor by stopping me. I don't. Maybe my chance is lost tonight, but I'll get another. Don't worry about that. There isn't anything that's going to stand in my way. Not you, not Pat, most certainly not Stebbins. I'd even commit murder to get that silver flask. quiet and sullen as I drove him home. He didn't say a word to me all the while we were together. I watched him enter the front door of this house, and I drove back to my apartment. When I got there, I called Henry Stebbins. Hello? Mr. Stebbins, this is Larry Reardon. Oh, yes. You'd better make sure that your house is locked up tight from now on. Your friend? Yes. I've been watching the front of your house for several nights. Tonight, about midnight, I saw Chris. I think he intended to break in. In the morning, for some reason, Henry Stebbins phoned first the Redfields and then me and asked us to come to dinner that night. I couldn't understand his line of reasoning unless he enjoyed playing a cat and mouse game with Chris. Pat didn't want to go, but Chris insisted, and promptly at seven we were at Stebbins' house. We finished the meal and adjourned to the library. I'd like to see your collection again, Mr. Stebbins. Oh, I'd be glad to show it to you. Uh, would you two like to come with us? No, I'll stay here if you don't mind. So will I. All right. Then just you and I'll go to see it, Chris. Suits me. Hey, we'll be back in a little while. I wonder if we should have let him go alone. Chris won't try anything while we're here, Pat. I hope you're right. Besides, I'm sure that Stebbins can protect himself. Oh, I'm worried about him, Larry. Chris has changed, though. When we're alone, he never says anything anymore. He just doodles on a scratch pad with a pencil. Always draws the same picture. Silver flash? Yes, I think something's wrong with his mind. Oh, I don't think what it's anything. Where is it? Where's the silver flash? Come on, Pat. We shouldn't have let him go alone. I think it would be best to put the flash away. I know it disturbed you quite strongly. I could kill you. Oh, we Stop it. them, Larry. Don't worry. Now, stay away from me, Red Bean. Don't be better off. Stay out there. All right, now. Stop it. Stop it, both of you. He knew I wanted to see the flash. He hit it on purpose. I thought it would be the 
wisest thing to do. Oh, Chris, how could you do such a thing? Let's just forget this ever happened. <laughs> I'm perfectly willing to do that, you know. <laughs> I really don't mean to gloat, Mr. Redfield, but I have the silver flask and you haven't, and I know you wanted it. Why, you, you see, that's why I hid it from you. After all, as long as you don't know where it is, my life is safe. Isn't that right? <laughs> Stebbins was right, of course. As long as Chris didn't know the whereabouts of the silver flask, Stebbins' life would be safe. But if Chris knew where it was with his overpowering obsession to own it and Stebbins stood in the way, his life would mean nothing to Chris. But Chris had told me that he wouldn't stop, even at murder. And so it was that you brought caused the silver flask to be made. And he summoned the father Charlene and got him to store upon the plant the mantle of magic. And this was done. Two days later, I was home in the apartment. I'd sat down with a good book, and it was about 11 o'clock when the phone rang. Stebbins? Yes, yes, I, I think so. You, you have to hurry over there, Larry, before he does anything. Have you called Stebbins? Yes, yes, I, I warned him. But Chris might do anything. Go over there, Larry. See that there's nothing wrong. I have the strangest feeling that Stebbins is going to die. Last the time had come. I knew it would. Sooner or later, Chris had to be stopped from entering that house at all costs. I hopped into my car and drove over to Stebbins' place as quickly as I could. Within 15 minutes, I was knocking on his front door. Oh, I'm glad you came, Larry. That phoned you, didn't she? Yes, I'm sorry I took so long coming to the door, but I was looking out the front window to see who it was. Uh, come in. It's strange what power the silver flask has, Larry. You should never have invited him back here after I told you what had happened. Oh, we might as well go into the library. You know, I think you'd better call the police. You think it's that serious? Yes. Yeah, I'll call from the library. Is your house secure? Oh, yes. Everything's locked and bolted. Hey, sit down, won't you? I'll call the police. Stebbins. The glass still hidden? What? Oh, no, no. It's over there on the table. Perhaps the police can send a man out and you'll be able to go home. Oh, uh, hello? Uh, my name is Henry Stebbins. I have good reason to believe that someone is going to make an attempt on my life tonight. What? Name? Uh, uh, Chris Redfield. He's wanted something of mine for some time. He'll do anything to get it. Yes. Yes, I'd appreciate that. Yeah, thank you very much. I'll have a man out here in 15 minutes. I didn't tell you that Chris had a knife when I came here to kill you, did I? No, you didn't. Well, that's funny. Still have it with me. Well, we'll give it to the police when they get here. Yes, I'm sure they'll find it. What? The knife. I'm sure the police will find it. What do you mean? This. It's Chris's knife. You should never have been afraid of him, Mr. Stebbins. Chris would never really kill you. But I would. 
Stay away from me. I can't do that. You see, Stebbins, everything fits in perfectly now. You've warned the police against Chris, they'll find his knife and never suspect me. You're insane. No, far from it. I merely want the silver flash. The curse. Don't forget the curse. Who believes in curses, Mr. Stebbins? You'll come any closer. Just close enough. Good night, Mr. Stebbins. Stands in the dresser next to my bed. The diamond shines on the dark. It seems almost to be getting brighter. I imagine the police are looking for Chris Wright. Time it is getting brighter. There's something else. The sound. Like the sound of escaping air. There's something here in this room with Events portrayed in these programs are fictional, and any similarity to actual events or persons living or dead is purely coincidental. So, a spider grows and grows, gathers intelligence, and a degree of telepathy and more. The idea of killing the weed before it grows was lost on our main scientist. Was it fear or pride that got in the way of killing this creature, perhaps? A bit of both? Or perhaps he was mesmerized. Living in Australia where everything crawls and bites, including some of the people here, this story hits home. Where I live, I'd be going through cans upon cans of bug spray in spring and summer, where spiders are literally scaling from my rooftops to crawl away and die. Sometimes I find that there are no spiders, and then I start thinking, where the hell are they? Look no further than the wasps, listeners. It's horrific. Nests of live spiders being consumed by wasp larvae. They sting and paralyze them, fly them up into their homes, and wrap them up in dirt for their young. So basically, you're anesthetized and you're watching some creature eat you alive. Goodness. So, being sprayed to death might be a good option for those guys, instead of a horror show that awaits them in a stranger's nest. Also makes me wonder why they didn't just burn the thing. Maybe too dangerous. Imagine a giant spider on fire and running around the laboratory. <laughs> yeah. I think in the end, they were all drawn in one by one and consumed by that spider creature. 
The second tale about the flask is a narrative style that I can get behind. It has this monkey's paw sort of narrative style. And any plot with cursed items just eh, gets me going. Love it. So in saying that, an object that draws the attention of our protagonists, lures them in, and then creates chaos around its possession, are the kind of stories that I love. No less in an old time radio episode. And regarding the flask itself, truly a demon resides in that flask, and one of great power to be working to this day. I wonder how you would cleanse an ancient cursed artifact. Any takers? Not me, I think. I wouldn't know where to start besides hurling sage at it. <laughs> I don't think that would work somehow. Alright, you lovely listeners. Stick with me Friday, where I'll be covering something different. And as always, till next, we meet.